Join us as we kick off a new semester of Midweek in the City, where we talk about God's vision for how we live together in John 17, and also strategic planning for the single adults ministry. <laughs> I love it. Well, John, I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad to be Thanks here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. This is great. So John's, uh, if y'all are not in Sunday school with us, um, or it's been a while, so John and his wife Dina are our 30s and 40s class directors for Sunday school, and they're so great. And so most of y'all have been able to get to know them, but um, I'm glad you could join us here tonight too. Thank you. This is glad awesome. to be here. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So tell us how you, be, well, first of all, tell us what you do for a living, just so we have that in the background. <laughs> yes. And, and it's important too, because I want to make sure people understand, I am not a financial advisor. That's not what this is. If you need a financial advisor, you should find one. I know some, and I'm glad to recommend them. Also, the church um, has a free subscription to Dave Ramsey Plus. Yes. So if you really want to understand uh, uh, finances at a different level, do that. What I'm here today to do is tell you really my testimony and my, um, I think my journey around uh, wealth and poverty. I want to explain that to you and share with you what I've learned. Um, but what I do is I'm, I'm a program director, which basically means I manage a bunch of project managers that run projects for a large financial services company. Yeah. That's what I do. Awesome. Cool. Oh, and I forgot to mention, um, we're going to go back to using Slido. So if you have any questions that come up while we're talking, um, at the end, we're going to do a little Q&A, but we're going to use Slido to do that. So if you want to submit a question, just like we've done in the past, go to Slido.com and then use code MWITC. It stands for Midweek in the City. Okay. And then you can submit a question online that way. Okay. And we'll go through those at the end, but I just want you all to know that. Um, okay. So how did you become interested in this idea of financial wisdom and stewardship and all of those things, how did this become part of your, your journey or your walk with the Lord? Yeah. I think it started, uh, Megan, because I was raised poor. Mm. And I, I, as a child, intuitively knew that um, the poverty in our house was in many ways self-induced. Mm. And um, though my mom and dad were wonderful Christian people, they worked very hard, they loved us very much, um, they weren't always making wise financial decisions. And so our house was often filled with a lot of financial chaos and instability that kind of wreaked, um, wreaked our house with a lot of uh, lack of peace. Mm -hmm. We didn't feel peace. And, and, and as a kid... We all, everybody in our family felt it. We'd run out of fuel oil to heat the house. We lived in Ohio. We ran off food. We ran out of gas in the car and we'd be stranded on the side of the road. It was just this constant stress. And as a little kid, even, you know, 11, 12 years old, I kind of had the sense that there was a, there was a better way. Um, and so it led me down a, a path that I would like to share with, because I think there's a lot of lessons there, but it led me down a path of really thinking about how to accumulate wealth. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Because that's, no matter where you find yourself tonight, whether you, you know, have, you feel like you're in a good place financially or you feel like that's an issue for you or you're struggling financially, there's still wisdom to be had no matter what stage of that journey or kind of cycle you're on. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit. But something that's always given me, um, I guess I'll call it heartburn or just, I don't know. It keeps me up at night a little bit is like this idea of, of wealth, right? Or understanding 
if I, okay, I live in America, right? And, and um, I have, you know, we're comfortable in all these things. And this idea of wealth and how do I manage money in a way that honors the Lord, that's always given me some, that's always kept me up at night, right? But first of all, okay, and we've talked about this a little bit, you and I, what's the difference between wealth and just high income? Okay. Or can you help us understand yeah. that? And I'd like to circle back to the story again yeah. after yeah, that, but, because I, but I think your question yeah. is perfect to set that up yeah. so I can go back to the testimony. Yeah. So maybe we could do a little exercise. Yeah. At your table, um, just uh, ask yourselves and talk for just a minute or two about what's the difference between high income and wealth, high income and wealth. Okay, yeah, take a couple minutes around your tables and discuss that for a little bit. That's okay. I like that discussion question. Okay. It's a great discussion yeah. question. Because you can actually get it. It just takes a little thinking. Yeah, I want to, um, I'd like to go back because I'd like to talk a little bit about um, how the pursuit, like the pursuit of something that looked noble. You know, to to remove financial anxiety yeah. turned into something. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So however you can set that up. I think oh, that's yeah. Good. Yeah. No, that's great. And whenever you think they Oh, no, you're good. Well, we normally do a couple discussion questions at the beginning. But I wanted to, but then sometimes we're getting out of here so late. And so I'm trying to Move it along. consolidate our time. What time you shoot? Oh, no, this is fine. This is good. I normally give them, like, way more <coughs> discussion time, so I think just this one is awesome. The poor maintenance team is always, like, what it is. took it up in the late-night party yeah. room. When I, when I walked out the door, my wife said, I'll see you at 1030, because she oh, knows yeah. this thing can go late. I'm trying to. Last week, I, I was still, I had a sinus infection, and I was really... Wednesday was like the height of it, and I was like, okay, we're out. Let's of here. get out of here. Okay, do we have, do we have a, some answers, some consensus? Some, okay, so what is the difference between wealth and high income? If it jiggles or folds. If it what? If it jiggles or folds. If you can, so if it's physical... gosh. <laughs> right. Oh. That's, oh, that's funny. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, what else? What's the difference between high income and wealth? He nailed it. Yeah. He nailed it. But l- let me just emphasize a couple points because this is so important. B- because what sometimes is the simplest thing is the thing we don't appreciate. And um, if you think about high income, think about whatever number that is to you. $100,000 a year, $250,000 a year, a million dollars a year. Think about what that number is to you, a high, a high income. Okay. What this gentleman said is absolutely correct. There are many people who 
achieve high income, but they have absolutely no wealth. I'll give you a perfect example. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson, in his um, boxing career, until now, he's doing some other things that have earned him some income, and he's gotten smarter. But in his boxing career, does anybody know how much he earned during his boxing career? $685 million. When he came out of prison and came back, he was worth almost zero. So here's a man that had extremely high income but had no wealth. You can figure out your own wealth right now. And the way you figure that out is you simply add up all of your assets and subtract all of your debit and all your credits. That's all you do. Whatever your credit debt is, your home debt, your car debt, your school debt, and you add up your asset. And you can tell if you have any net worth. That net worth is your wealth. All right? We're going to talk at some length about that wealth because you may desire a high income, but it's very likely that you could achieve a high income but never create wealth. And you lose your job or you retire from that job, and I know plenty of people to do this. They have had high income, but they've never accumulated any wealth. Yeah. Blaze and I were looking at our finances the other day, and um, it said our our net worth, and it it started with a minus sign. And so that's always kind of like a knock to your ego a little bit when you have negative (laughs) net worth. It's student loans, but it's still just kind of a hit to your ego. But So I want to hear more about your story. And we, we talk a lot about we pursue money or manage money to find security. Right. Um, and that's, that's how I think of money is how can I feel secure, right? Yeah. But I want to hear more of your story and how you've Thank gotten you. to this place. Yeah. yeah. So when I, <clears throat> when I graduated from high school, I went straight to college. And um, I think this um, value followed me into college. And that value to me was how do I achieve um, peace, financial peace and financial stability? So when I went into college, I immediately... Uh, because I no longer was um, uh, under my parents, I could, I could set up the financial environment I wanted for myself. And so I set out to do that. And so it was marked by a tremendous amount of frugality, a, an enormous fear of credit, and I wanted to have everything paid off and paid in cash. It was just kind of built in me. And so I'd say by the time I got married and was in my 20s, I spent... Uh, a tremendous amount of time trying to establish that financial security and that financial peace. Mm -hmm. And um, I can tell you it's not that difficult to achieve, especially if you're willing to forego uh, creating a lot of credit debt and buying things that you don't need, kind of like this silly video, right? If you do those things, you will will immediately begin to feel the effect of of financial peace. And I love that's, I love the name of uh, yeah. Dave Ramsey's thing. Yeah. What I noticed, though, is as, as I got into my 30s, those, some of those habits had become really fixed. Mm-hmm. And I began to kind of like look through the forest, and I saw the path continuing. And I go, wait a second. I can move from just financial stability and financial kind of um, peace to financial independence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought... And I knew already at this point, I didn't need high income to do it. Yeah. I, could, I could do this another way. I could just do it by plugging along. Mm-hmm. And so I got after that. Mm-hmm. Well, 
fortunately for me, I, I also found a good career, so my income started to build. And before, you, before I knew it, I was beginning to accumulate wealth. And you could do the math, right, of my assets and my liabilities, and I would watch every month, every year, my uh, net worth increasing. It was enormously, I can't tell you, viscerally satisfying to me to see this accumulation. And I, I would say that there was a bit of a pride that began to set in in my 40s and realizing that I had accumulated some wealth and that I was well on my way to becoming financially independent, where I, I wouldn't need to work. Um, and I, what I realized was um, there were some other things happening to me spiritually that I wasn't aware of. And God finally, for some reason, turned that all on. And I began to see it. And I saw three things. First, I saw the sin of fixation. I had become obsessed with becoming financially independent. And that was a sin one. I think the other sin was the one you just mentioned. I had this, um, this sense of great security. That money and that wealth gave me a feeling of security. It wasn't God that was giving me security. It was this wealth that was giving me security. And I remember thinking, well, uh, if, if I lost my job, that's okay. I got this wealth. But that's not how God wanted me responding to this, right? He didn't want me responding to that. He wanted me to feel a sense of peace and a sense of confidence in him. Yeah. It was all, all directed on the money. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm sure I've felt that way too. I don't know if y'all have ever felt that way, but regardless of what your financial state is, right, that's the thing that's either giving you a lot of anxiety or a lot of security or feeling of security, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, that gets into something too. So <coughs> as Christians, right, we're, we're using scripture to guide our way when it comes to everything, including our finances, right? And we hear these things like we heard these ideas, like we should give all we have to the poor or we should just, you know, and I've wondered, is the American church missing it when it comes to, to wealth? You know, is it okay to have this kind of wealth or the standard of living that we have, right? So what do we, how do we understand that? Um, how should Christians understand wealth in a biblical way? Because this is something yeah. that I wrestle with all the time. And I think, by the way, it's, it's this question that I finally was able to answer. If you'd asked me this in my 40s, I'm 56, by the way. So if you'd asked me this question in my 40s, I couldn't have answered it because yeah. I really didn't know my relationship with wealth was... Um, dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. It really wasn't. It wasn't yeah. spiritual. But what I learned was that neither wealth or poverty, um, God is kind of indifferent to both of them, mm -hmm. right? And I think that we think that wealth is evil and poverty is good. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really not the case. In fact, I might argue that um, a touch of wealth is, is probably what God is looking for. And, and I, let me explain that because you might say, no, 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 God, God, God doesn't want that at all. And I'd say, well, the preponderance of Scripture is don't live in debt, yeah. right? Uh, it says maintain the ability to give. Mm -hmm. It talks about being able to bless your children and your children's children, yeah. right? It says take care of your own. If you look at the preponderance of what God says about the accumulation of wealth, it's significant. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't talk about intentionally creating poverty. Yeah. 
You can create poverty, in fact, if you want to. But the Bible says, in fact, even the way you're supposed to give, it says give according to what you have. Mm-hmm. So when the ladies put in the two mites, yeah. she didn't give what she didn't have, but she gave what she did have. Yeah. And so I think that there's a, a strong biblical principle that says we should be trying to accumulate wealth. Now, there's, there's danger in that, right? You can become like I was, fixated on it. You can become worried about the loss of that wealth. You can find security in it. But there is a proper way to f- find that wealth if you're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, that's good. So that's, I guess, the, it's about the questions you're asking yourself while you're on that journey of accumulating wealth, right? Gotcha. Is it, if you're asking, what can this get me? <coughs> that's probably the wrong question. If you're asking, okay, how can I do good with this wealth? That's, that's right. a For my question, family, right? for my yeah. children's children. Yeah. For the for the kingdom, yeah. right? I would, by the way, I would say many people who are have put themselves in a self-induced, uh, impoverished state, like my father, um, they weren't able to give the kingdom. In fact, my father told me after he turned about fifty, his fortunes began to change, mm-hmm. and he said, "John, now I am so glad that I'm in a position to be able to yeah. to bless others." Yeah. But he couldn't for so many years. Yeah, that's good, and that's what you know. Even on Sunday. This last Sunday, if y'all were at church with us, we were talking about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, um, who were both wealthy men. And they were the ones that were able to bury Jesus and give him this proper burial that a lot of the other disciples wouldn't have been able to afford. That's right. right? And so here is this example of these wealthy men giving of their wealth in a way that honored the Lord, obviously, but in a way that other people couldn't give. That's right. And that was convicting for me because I've, that's always been, I've had so much, is it okay to be wealthy? Is it okay to, yes. you know, accumulate wealth? But if you're acting like Joseph and Nicodemus, then yeah. Yeah. Right? Because, well, think about what God did yeah. for Abraham and yeah. Job mm-hmm. and David and Solomon. Yeah. These were incredibly wealthy people, yeah. right? But God also created poverty for people, yeah. Jeremiah and Ruth these were very, in Paul, yeah. right? Paul, in fact, is a very unique example because he experienced both. He said, I experienced wealth and I experienced poverty. But what I also understood was I learned how to be content in both. And so I don't think that we're necessarily trying to seek poverty or create poverty. I think we're trying to create enough wealth to do what God wants us to do, which is don't find ourselves in debt, bless our family, be able to support the kingdom. Yeah, that's good. That's It's it's so much more simple when you put it that way. I get it really mixed up in my head. I don't know if y'all have ever had just anxiety around this like murky cloud of finances because that's what it feels like to me is this very gray cloud that I just don't know what to do with, right? That's always just kind of around. And so that's really a clear cut, right? Yep. That's yeah. a much more calming way to think about finances. But okay, so when we're thinking about how do we how does that play out and how do we manage our finances faithfully? Theoretically, there's three things we can do, right? We can save, we can spend, or we can give our money, right? So those seem like the three categories. Yes. But how do we manage our finances well when it comes to that? What she just said is really an important thing. And I'd encourage you to um, always remember that there are only three things you can do with money. You can spend it, you can save it, or you can give it. That's the only things you can do with money. God actually speaks to all three of them. And... Um, we won't go through it all tonight, but if you read scripture, uh, you can Google it even and say, you know, what does God say about spending money or saving money or giving money? You'll find all kinds of great principles about how, how to do that. Um, but 
I think that part of learning how to deal with wealth is not only understanding those, those spiritual principles, but there are some really practical things we can do, right, that I think God um, honors, right? And there are, there are good men like the Dave Ramseys of the world that will say, look, there's some ways to accumulate wealth, right? The Bible didn't know about a 401K, right? But a 401K is an, a really important element, right, for people to save money. And we can talk about that and, and, and encourage people how that a little bit of savings goes a long way. But I think there's some other questions here that might, might yeah. get us there. But. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, and this is something you brought up when we've talked about this in prior days, but... Okay, scripture says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So we know that what we say <clears throat> indicates what is in our heart, right? But there's, we can say the same thing about our possessions, theoretically, yes. right? So, what, so when we're thinking about, <coughs> we all have stuff, right? And we're never going to not have stuff, right? So when we're thinking about our possessions, what does that say about our heart? That's a wonderful question because yeah. if, you th- if you're wondering... Um, if you have a healthy relationship with money, um, you can search your own heart, and it's difficult to search your heart, right? If you've ever tried to search your heart, you realize how difficult that is. Motives are tricky things, right? They often get entangled with other motives. And Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's very difficult to know our heart. But if you're trying to understand what is my relationship with wealth, um, one of the best things you can do is look at what are those things you're pursuing Mm -hmm. with your wealth. You know, because we often are trying to accumulate things with our wealth or we're seeking ways to get wealth so we can get those things. Now, for me, it wasn't material things. I've never been interested in cars or watches or trips or anything like that. I told you earlier, what I was looking for was security, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so if you look at what you're trying to possess, whether it's tangible or intangible, it will tell you the content of your heart. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're completely obsessed all the time with, I want, I want a new house, I want a new car, whatever that, whatever that thing is, or security, or I want people to know that I have money, mm-hmm. if you look at that, you're going to get a picture into your heart. And that is exactly what you need because that's where you can begin the journey back to a healthy relationship with wealth. Yeah. And, that, and I guess, because I, I always struggle with that too, because then how do we, and this, this is off the cuff, so I'm it's sorry, right, I didn't give right. you this before, but um, when we're looking for the line, right, because sometimes it's okay to save up and go on that vacation, right? Or it's okay to save up and, you know, invest in this this hobby that you're into, right? And so... I think that's where I have trouble is where's the line between this is something that I enjoy and I want to do this fun experience versus now I'm just indulging in this material world. You know, mm-hmm. where's, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. How do, where's the line? The two thoughts that come to my head were one of them is back earlier when I was talking about, I think fixation, you know, the Bible really talks about um, being brought under the power of something. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And you can tell, Right. When your hobby has went a step too far, like if you ever went in somebody's house that collects something and you go and it's a little curio cabinet with like 10 or 20 of them. Then you get into somebody's house and it's every room is, you know, pictures of cats and stuffed cats. And, you know, you're like, come on. I think 
I think n knowing where that line is is really about are you fixated on it. Yeah. Um, I think the other one is if if it if it itself is creating credit issues, yeah. right? Yeah. And if you are knowingly um, um, taking away from your ability to serve the kingdom, yeah. And and. I love the way my dad said it one time. He said, I remember having situations where a need was presented to me, my heart leapt into mm -hmm. action, and my wallet could not follow. Yeah. And mm -hmm. if your vacations and yeah. hobbies are putting you in that position, I'd say you're, you're not able to do that. One yeah. other quick example. This is an interesting story. Yeah. If you, in the Old Testament, there's a law. You know, in the Old Testament, there's all kinds of laws that you read that sound really, really strange. One of them is, if you're walking down the street or you're walking through a pasture and you see a donkey or a cow that's loose, you are obligated by law, in the Jewish law, to go get that cow yeah. or go get that yeah. donkey and bring it to the owner. Now, it's easy, though, to look at that and go, I didn't see it. Right? I didn't see it. I'm not part, I don't have to deal with that. But the principle in there is that a need seen is an assignment given. Mm -hmm. Right? And so if, if you are, I think, have accumulated enough wealth to where you can begin to serve the kingdom, you will see needs. You'll see these donkeys and cows all over the place. And the Lord will, the Lord will, <laughs> there's other donkeys, right? Metaphorical ones. Metaphorical. Yeah. You'll see them all over the place and your heart will, can leap into action yeah. and your wallet can follow. That's good. And that's something that me and Blaze have been talking about this a little bit too is, okay, we have the vacation that we're saving up for, or we have the thing or whatever it is, right? We have some financial goal, but we need to be mindful to, in that list of goals, include being able to give generously and kind of budgeting to be able to, you know, making that part yes. of our financial goal setting is we would love to be able to give generously to X, Y, or Z, right? And making right. that, saving up for that just like you save up for a vacation, right? You know, being able I agree. to... And I think there's a priority yeah. to it too, right? I think yeah. you you should establish your, your wealth accumulation that says, I'm taking care of me and my family, mm -hmm. Right, and yeah. and I'm taking care of the kingdom. Those have to come before mm -hmm. the vacations and yeah. all that. If you keep putting those first, yeah. all those other things will not get settled for you. Yeah. And if you learn that, if you learn this habit early, man, if you're in your 20s, I I beg you, <laughs> get it get it right. Um, maybe I'll steal one point from later. Yeah. Um, I've often said the best money I ever invested was the money I invested first. Do you get my point? I, I invested in my 20s, $10 a week, $50 a week. I can invest much more now, but it's that money there yeah. back then that's worth the most to me, yeah. right? It's grown and compounded for 35 years, yeah. right? So if you can start saving that now, even if you think it's small, it's that money that's going to pay you the best dividend, not yeah. the money that you're saving in your 50s. The money that I'm saving in my 50s is really not giving me as much uh, cushion as that yeah. money is. Yeah, that's true. And wealth. Yeah, and it's a bigger sacrifice early on to save that $10. $10 is a different amount of money yes. in your 20s versus your 50s, right? But, <laughs> exactly. But that's okay, yeah. And I want to I get to some kind of practical tips about this too, but also when we're thinking about this idea of security and finding our security in money, 
we all are going to do that at one point or another. But how, how do you avoid money being your, you know, your primary security? Or when you were on that journey, how, what things helped you kind of remove that? I think first God showing me that I was trusting money. You know, there's a verse in, I think it's Ecclesiastes, that says, the workman sleeps well, but the wealthy cannot sleep. And the reason is, is because the wealthy and those who, and remember, I'm not, when I say wealthy, don't think $5 million. Think about what I was talking about earlier, about just accumulating wealth. Once you get a little bit of wealth accumulated, you immediately begin to worry about it. You worry about losing it, right? You worry about it being diminished. And I think the first thing is having God reveal to you the dynamics here, right? Um, The second was, I, I really had to become more focused on Christ. I just had to be. And you know, the, the verse in Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you, was enormously powerful to me. And it, and it gave me kind of a, a, a guide stone to keep coming back to, to say, you know, if, am I really seeking Christ in all I do? Or am I, am I back to where I was in, the tw- in my 20s and 30s where I was fixated on wealth accumulation? Yeah, that's good. And that's, so, okay, so now we're kind of getting into some of the, the practical things, right? So y'all have probably all, you know, whether you are in your 20s and you recently started, you know, you're, you're in your career and like having, you know, for me, after grad school, I was like, money that's not loans. Like, yes, that's so exciting, right? When sometimes life stages give you different. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. I'm still really excited about it, clearly. Um, you know, there's different life stages bring different, financial situations, right? Maybe you recently are in your career, you know, for the first time and you've been able to kind of say, okay, I have this steady paycheck now. Or maybe um, your job recently changed or, you know, whatever that is, there's mile markers along the way that we're like, okay, we need to reevaluate what's going on. So um, what would you suggest to someone that's new to budgeting or managing their income or saving or recently had a significant change in their income? If they're looking at their finances, um, what kind of practical tips do you have for them? In, in no particular order, a couple that I think about are, um, it's okay to start small. It goes back to the point I made. The small money that you save in your 20s and 30s will be the big money in your 50s and 60s. Yeah. Um, and so if you're thinking, I'm going to save $10 a week, who cares? Please care about mm-hmm. that $10 a week. You, you would not believe what it will do. The second tip I would give you is, This is going to, some of you are going to go, there's no way. But just stick with me here. I want to talk to you about um, $100 a week, and I want to talk to you about cars, okay? So if you can save $100 a week, and again, some of you are going, there's no way, but stick with me. If you can save $100 a week starting at age 22, by the time you're at 62, which is where you can begin to draw Social Security, at least today, you get less, but you can. So for those 40 years, you would have accumulated about $750,000. That's an enormous amount of money, right? Yeah. Without, without What's that? Okay. Cash, yeah. What's that? I still didn't hear your question. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, 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 no. You, you would be investing it, right? You're investing that money. Right. right. 
So if you're investing that money at around, I think it's 6% is what I did it on. I did a compound interest calculator at about 6%, which isn't, isn't tough. The market's pulled 9% over the past 12 years, right? So if you invested $100 a week, say it's half, or cut it down to $500,000, you're still at $500,000 by the time you're 62. Now let's talk about cars, and we're going to come back to that in a second. Cars are the biggest money pit you can think of. I'm telling you, if you're obsessed with cars, you're wasting money big time. I'm going to give you an example. I wish I'd have drove my car tonight. I drive a van down by the river. No. <laughs> I, I drive a uh, 2000 Toyota minivan. It's got 280,000 miles on it. I bought it in 2001, a year old. Now think about this for a second. How much money I've made by not buying another car. I paid the car off in three years. Okay, I bought it in 2001. I, bought, I paid it off in three years. It was a $500 a month payment, all right? So had I just moved and said, look, I'm going to get another car. I want a fresh car. I like the smell. I want to get a new upgraded car. If I'd have kept doing that time and time again, if you add up the $500 per month, it's $6,000 a year. $6,000 times 18 is what? Uh, what is it? Thank you, Mr. Math. It's $108,000. <laughs> so the, over that period of, what is that, 18 years of me not taking a, uh, having a payment, it's equal to $108,000. Now you'll say, but John, you had maintenance. Okay, take $30,000 of it. I still had $78,000. Now compound it. Had I invested those $500 a month, it gets up to about $150,000. Now let's go back to the other money. Let's go back to the other money we just talked about. If you save the, $10, the $100 a week, add that to it. You're, you're now reaching into the $900,000. If you have a job that offers a 401k that will match just 3%, you're now over a million dollars. Now, I'm not saying that so I can encourage you to uh, accumulate wealth for no reason. I'm saying the accumulation of wealth is what will take care of you and take care of your spouse and take care of your family and allow you to give to the kingdom and allow, to get, allow you to give to your children's children, yeah. right? And my point is, it's not as hard as you think and if you say, well, I can't get the $100, I get that. But I would encourage you to look around at your budget a little bit. Do you really need the cable package? Do you really need the Starbucks every morning? Do you need to go out to eat five times a week? Could you go out to eat two times a week? Could you get a side hustle? And like uh, uh, Ramsey talks about, deliver pizzas one night a week for four hours. If you, gener if you generated $100 a week extra, saved it, got involved in your IRA, and didn't buy a bunch of cars, you would accumulate significant wealth. One other point, and I'll shut up. This is a no, long no, point. This is great. <laughs> if, let's say you had a million dollars at age 62, at a meager 40% interest, you could generate at age 62 $40,000 a year in income off of a million dollars and never touch the million dollars. Add to you to that your Social Security, which might be $35,000, you now could be making in retirement $75,000 a year. These are simple numbers. I'm, I'm not being extravagant at all. And so my point is, 
wealth accumulation that I think is within the, re- within the realms of reach and within what God would say is a healthy way to approach wealth is within our reach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's within our reach. It just takes us using, I think, some good godly principles to say, I'm not going to live in debt. I'm going to live below my means. I'm not going to find myself fixated and obsessed with travel and cars and these mm-hmm. kind of things. I don't think God wants that. And once you accumulate that kind of wealth, boy, the ability to serve others and serve the kingdom and serve your family are enormous. Long answer, but I really want to share that. That's great. And that's, all of those things are, especially if you aren't, I don't know, like if you're like me, I'm not naturally a financially minded, math doesn't work in my head, right? I, looking at a budget stresses me out, right? Um, Those things are not intuitive all the time, right? To say, oh wait, if I just save this much money or invest this much money. I mean, the way that it adds up is astounding to me. It is astounding. Yeah. And that's what, um, you talked about living below your means or creating a system where there's scarcity even when there's not. Right. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because that's, I made up this thing, and I, I think what had happened is when I was in my 20s, I was doing it, but I didn't have a label for it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was doing, but after I got out of my 20s and 30s, I realized what I had was doing. And again, I know not everybody is built the same. I get that. But I was built to be frugal. I just was built to be frugal. And it doesn't bother me to be frugal. Uh, I don't, like that car. By the way, if you, if you see my car, both of the... Rear mirrors on the side are stuck on with duct tape. <laughs> and I'm not, it doesn't bother me. It just doesn't bother me because I know what that car is generating for me. But my, I forgot, oh yeah. So what I did in the 20s and 30s was um, I would save money, but I would always oversave. It was like I was testing my ability to actually save that much money. But what I realized I was doing is I was almost challenging myself by creating artificial scarcity. What I was doing is I was taking away money that I could potentially be spending. I always gave to to, uh, the kingdom first. But then I would look at the money that was left over, and I'd go, oh, man, I've got $100 a week over. I would try to save 75 of it. Mm -hmm. And I'd go, well, why am I saving that much? But in my mind, I would go, if I can make it work, Mm -hmm. I'm accumulating. And I always thought... If I'm desperate, I could pull it back. Mm-hmm. But I never pulled it back. Yeah. I actually never had to pull that money back. And so cr- this notion of creating artificial scarcity by oversaving yeah. is powerful. Now, this is, that's advanced level saving, <laughs> but I would encourage you to, from time to time, create some artificial scarcity. Yeah, that's good. Well, that's what, I'm good at convincing myself that, yes, I do need the, you know, the Starbucks or whatever the, the thing is, right? You, at a hard day, I need my, you know, whatever it is. But... <laughs> But if we, especially if we sat down and we looked at, this is what we started doing, is just looking at everything we spent any money on over the course of the last month, right? And saying, "Mm, you know, maybe I didn't need that every single time I felt that I needed that, right? And there's a lot of room for creating that scarcity that it doesn't feel like there's room for. And And it doesn't have to feel like, you're living such a draconian lifestyle every day, right? Yeah. There's, a, there's two things that will happen. One, you'll learn that a McCafe McDonald's coffee, <laughs> which is about half the price, actually tastes oh, yeah. about the same, right? So there are things that you can do like that. And the yeah. second thing is, once you begin to accumulate wealth, everything eases up on you. It's yeah. like when you, 
And you can have those things. Like Dave, Dave Ramsey, they'll say, somebody will ask him, uh, they'll call in and say, I'm trying to buy this new car. And he goes, you don't, you don't have enough money for that Acura, right? <laughs> and they'll go, well, what kind of car do you own? He goes, I can own any car I want, right? <laughs> and, so, and so the point is, you know, he's, he, once you kind of reach yeah. that point, you have, you have a new, there's a new kind of privilege. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And that's making that, those choices line up with where you actually are in reality, right? That's, that's right. That's a tough thing. And that's what, when we talk about saving, a lot of times if y'all have ever looked at your budget, you're like, no, every penny is accounted for, right? Or it doesn't feel like it's possible to save that $100 a week or to, to budget in a way where you can save money. So what, what tips do you have for saving money or for if people feel like there's no room for that? I, I go back to the, the small is good, yeah. the small saving is good, yeah. the early saving is good, and then I... If you've ever changed a tire on a car, when you put the tire back on and you put the, the lug nuts back on, you know when you tighten them and you, you got the last one tightened, if you go back to the first one, it's loose again, right? And you have to go back around. Have you, have you seen this, right? And you have to keep going back around. And then finally, they're all tight. My point is, it's important to always go back through all of your expenses from time to time. Even if you think you've squeezed all the juice out of them. Yeah. All you have to do is go, sometimes if you just call Geico and go, you know what? And I did this last year. When we were in COVID, I read an article that said that insurance companies made more money during COVID than they ever made. Do you know why? Nobody was driving. So I called them and I said, I'm not driving. And I calculated my car. I live four miles from work, right? I was driving to work three days a week. So that's eight times three, that's 24. I said, I'm driving about 25 miles a week. Can you give me a discount? They said, sure, we can give you a discount. All I had to do was ask, Dang right? And so all uh, I did is I, I just kind of... I didn't think to do that. <laughs> I, same thing with your cell phone. Right now, did you know Spectrum is offering a, a phone for $29.99 and a second line for $29.99? Did you know that? If you're paying on AT&T, you could maybe switch over. If you look at yeah. your cable bill, you could go, do I really use these channels? But my point is, yeah. constantly be going around and tightening it up. And right when you think there's no more tightening, go back around again. You'll be surprised. There's just constant money that can pour out of your budget. Yeah. No, that's good. That's helpful. And there's, y'all, if you, um, I know, I want to make sure we have enough time for questions because there's a lot of good ones here. But if you have a question for John, um, go ahead and submit it on Slido. But I'm going to, if you're good. Is, good. is there anything else that you have? No. The top of your mind? Okay. Um, there's a lot of really great questions here because this is, this is like me. I, we could sit here and talk about finances all night and I would still have more questions. So, um, okay. So what is your investment philosophy and your style of investing? Is it growth value? How, what is your, um, preference or style for investing? Um, so I'm 56, so it's going to be different, Yeah. but, um, and, and again, I want to be careful because I'm I'm stepping into financial advice, professional. This professional, is armchair, right? Financial, but I want you advice. to. Yeah. yeah, I'm not giving <laughs> financial advice. Um, I have always been growth oriented because I'm even though I'm frugal, and you would think that the frugal person is a low risk person. Mm-hmm. I've actually been a high risk person because I you kind of ran the numbers and realized yeah. that the stock market over long periods of time always has a good return mm-hmm. and. I can stomach, yeah. I can stomach the the cliffs, yeah. 
because I know it's going to come back and I'll dollar cost average mm -hmm. and I'll be okay with it. And so I always um, invested on a growth. Mm -hmm. Now that I'm approaching retirement, I'm three or four years away from retirement, I've begun to crunch that back a little bit because I, yeah. I can't now stomach yeah. those changes like I used to be able to. So yeah. um, growth oriented, but more importantly, the more important principle here is, um, is twofold. One, invest when it's up and invest when it's down. Mm -hmm. If you think you're beating, you're going to beat the market and you're smart, there was somebody here last year that it came up to me afterward and he says, I, the market was down and I got myself out of the market and I went, oh man. <laughs> it, stay in the market and, do, and stay in it long term. Yeah. If you're trying to time the market, you're going to lose. Because yeah. if you could time the market, you would literally be making a million dollars a year mm -hmm. working for an investment management company. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, big, it's, it's big business. Mm -hmm. And if you know how to do it, you should go really do it. Yeah. Uh, but most people can't, and you don't have the time to do it. So yeah. stay in, stay early, stay long. Yeah, no, that's good. Oh, and this is a really good question, too. Um, what advice would you give to someone who's starting this journey in the red? Uh, Dave Ramsey, uh, I would definitely read his book uh, and take the baby steps, but uh, you got to get rid of that debt first because it's very likely that your the interest on your debt is much higher than the interest you're going to earn on the money right now, mm -hmm. and so you've got to get you got to get that debt taken care of. Yeah. I, I would definitely tell you go read and follow Dave Ramsey's advice mm -hmm. here. Yeah, and well, this is kind of a good follow up to that. Um, is debt really wrong? To me, debt is neither good or bad, and can easily be a positive thing if you use it as a tool to expand marginal productivity or for business or those kind of things. And I know that that's something that. I've heard too, right, is there is bad forms of debt, but there's also debt that can kind of work for you, mm -hmm. right? So unpack that a little bit. Yeah. That there's religious debt. wars on this, right? Yeah. I mean, you have people who, like Dave Ramsey believes that the only debt that you should take on is house debt. That's mm -hmm. it. And he even believes, I think, the house debt you shouldn't go over, I don't know, if it's 30% of your take-home pay or something like yeah. that. I can't remember. Yeah. But um, I would say he's on the more extreme end. Mm -hmm. I actually am pretty close to him. Mm -hmm. um, but debt is really leverage, right? It allows you to, you know, if you're trying to start a business, right, there's almost no way you're going to start a business without creating some debt. Yeah. But that debt is meant to um, create wealth for you. Yeah. But if you're, if you're creating debt on a credit card because you're shopping right. and vacationing and going out to eat, that is pure and simple bad debt. If you're, I would say, um, accumulating debt to get a degree that will never really <laughs> generate income that matters, yeah. I would really give that a second thought. Yeah. Now, so, for some of us, it's too late, right? You've already, right. you've already done, paid the piper. But generally, what I think about is, um, I, I, my hesitation is that uh, exposing my my own. Um, financials it feels weird, right? But my, my perspective is I don't buy anything on debt, uh, on credit. I just don't. I don't buy anything on credit. I haven't bought any. I haven't had a credit card payment for probably 25 years yeah. because I just, I reached the point where I said, I can't stand giving this money away. Mm -hmm. It's my hard-earned money and I don't want to give it away. And so I would, I would just um, bite the bullet and Wait till I had enough money and yeah. then pay for cash. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I did buy a car. I did buy a car in that 25 years that I bought on, yeah. on, on credit. Yeah. yeah. But I so paid it off early. So that's a good, so there's debt that's 
like the credit card debt, right? That's the, that That's is the obvious, that is not gonna do anything for you, right? But there is, and I, and I get what this person's getting at too, right? There's some forms of debt that are more proactive, yeah, right? Investing yeah. and, and doing those kinds of yeah, things. Yeah. And that's and, a different animal. Yeah, and early really, in my marriage, yeah. um, we had our plumbing go out in our house. It was an old house, and, I, and it was a $6,000 bill. I didn't have $6,000 as much as I had a million dollars, and I had to put it on a credit card because mm. I was... Yeah. But I, I'd say you got to go after those. It's the, it, to me, it's the debt that's the going out to eat, the mm-hmm. travel. It's, it's yeah. the dumb debt. Yeah, that's good. There's dumb debt and there's smart debt. Just do smart debt. <laughs> I'm a fiduciary now. Look at that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that gets too much Starbucks. Okay, here's the here's another good one. Do you think the danger of <laughs> Do you think the danger of not thinking about money enough is equal to the danger of thinking about money too much? So can you? Are both ends of that spectrum equally dangerous of not thinking about it enough or too much? Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah, that is a good question. I, I, I don't know if I know the answer to that, but I do know that there is danger not thinking about it, yeah. right? I remember I met a gentleman. Uh, there was a lady that lived next door to me. She'd been a nurse all of her life, uh, and she nursed into her 70s. And she was one of those who spent it all. She spent it all. When she retired at 72 or 73, I literally had to help her find a, an apartment. Mm. And I found her an apartment that was based on your income. Her income was $800 a month. Yeah. That's all she had. Yeah. And we found an apartment complex that charged her $240 a month. And I moved her in. When I moved her in, I met a gentleman um, in the same apartment complex who had worked for IBM for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And, he, and, and, and he used that phrase. He said, I just never thought about it. And, you know, at, at the end of their life, they were, uh, they had accumulated or they had generated tremendous amounts of income, yeah. but they never thought about it. And there they were in a, in a pretty tough predicament. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. There's danger in not thinking about it. Yeah. Right. And I guess it depends, you know, and I guess the other side of that spectrum is, is it becoming an idol for you? Yes. Right. I guess that's the other end of thinking about it too much is, like you said, it's a fixation, right? It's become a sin out of fixation. That's right. I guess that's, that's exactly that. right. Yeah. And you, you have to ask yourself, am I seeking the kingdom of God first? If you're not, you're, you've probably uh, got things out of order. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Sure. Go for it. <laughs> well, it's a whole thing, but go ahead. The role of what? The If I didn't say that, I thought I did, that giving is first. And I always, during my time, was giving first. Um, I, I think that the, the two things that drove me was I was raised in a church where it was based on the, the 10%, right? You, mm-hmm. That's your minimum give, mm-hmm. right? And I know there's a lot of churches now that teach something that's called grace giving, that, you know, you give what's, you know, kind of on your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that never really worked for me, and the Bible seemed to have kind of a preponderance of evidence that said 10% is a good minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started there and then kind of built from there was kind of how I thought about it. Um, and then, uh, Lane, I, the, the other evolution in mine was I, I got to where I really did want to help out other places. And I know you had asked about this earlier. Um, you know, my son's special needs, and there's a lot of great nonprofits out there that, and you're, I know you're very close to many nonprofits, that struggle. I mean, they struggle. And they're doing the Lord's work. They're doing the work of churches. They really are. And so I, I felt like I wanted to add to my money that I was giving to the church. I was never taking church money, if you will, and give it to nonprofits. But I began to add to that and say, look, I want to I wanna support some of these other, other ministries. But I always felt like the, the tithe, tithe started to my local church. Wherever I was going to church, that's where I was going to give my money. Yeah. And if, I, I believe that's what God teaches. If, yeah. you're, if you're getting fed there, you know, what does the Bible say? A, a laborer is worthy of its hire. Yeah. If this church is feeding you, you should be giving to that yeah. church. Yeah, that's good. That's right. That's I mean, what the Bible says, the, uh, God owns the cattle on the thousand hills, the, the gold in every mine, and he owns your whatever you have too. He's just loaned it to you for a little while. He's asking for a little back immediately, but it's still the, all, the, all of it's still his. I think, yeah. that's, I think that's the point you're making. Yeah, that's good. Andrea? Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a, this can be a real problem, right? I, I, I can tell you, but um, I'm trying to say two things at once. First, if you want to give over and above to like a nonprofit, you don't just have to give money. You can get over there and work. And they are begging, begging for people to come work. You know, I was on the board of SAM for six years. I've been helping out Mission Road. Um, it, these are places that do good work, but I sometimes I just give them elbow grease, right? But if you're going to give money, what I do is um, I also give a place called Johnny and Friends as well that do work with special needs. But you can go out to charitynavigator.com or .org, Charity Navigator. Every charity, nonprofit, 501c3, has to produce, I think it's called a Form 550, yeah. And it will give you all of the expenses of that organization. How much do they pay their CEO? How much do they pay their top five people? What are you smiling about? <laughs> this is like the secret loophole yeah. to figuring out. But if out you go to Charity Navigator, and there's another charity, a charity watch or whatever, you can read that. And they'll rate them on a ranking of, I think, one to five. They give them one to five stars. And then they'll, what they'll also do is they'll tell you, they show you a little pie chart, and they'll say, how much of every dollar that you give goes actually to the ministry, and what percentage goes to administration and fundraising? Yeah. So if you see somebody who that 50% of what you give is going to fundraising and administration, there's no way. I'm looking for, like, Samaritan's Purse, Billy, um, 
Franklin Graham's organization. I think it's over 90% of every dollar you give goes straight to somebody who needs it. And so if you look at Charity Navigator, they'll really give you an idea of who's best to give your money to. Yeah, that's good. Well, and that's what there's, yeah. Right. <laughs> Andrew, well, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it, a metaphorical microphone yeah. instead of, yeah. Um, and that's working for some nonprofits in the past. If they are <coughs> an upright organization, right, that are, that are doing good work, they want very badly to be transparent and to to show you exactly where they're spending their money um, because that's important to them and because they know that that the folks donating to them want to know that it's going to the work that they say it is, right? right? And so they they do, those offices put a lot of work into being able to communicate that and they'll answer you gladly yeah, most will. of the time. And if they don't answer you excitedly when you ask that question, that's probably a red flag to begin yeah. with, right? Run, but, run away. Yeah, but there, there will always be somebody that can answer that for you. Um, and that's encouraging to me. Transparency is a good thing from organizations yep. like that. And they all have volunteer coordinators. They're eager yeah. to have you work for them. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Any? I know we're kind of running out on time, but any other questions in the room? I know. Let me. What'd you say? Oh, that was another one in here. He knows a lot. So some of these were words that I didn't even understand. Wait, let me. What are your current thoughts on, on macro? Soft landing, inflation, deflation? I don't know some of these words. Oh, you want to talk about macroeconomics? Isaiah's. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're an investor. What else are you going to talk yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert. He, he, he knows things about economics. Okay. Um, oh, gosh. No. Oh, sorry. Amy Poehler was trying to come back. Okay. Let's see. Um, okay, here's, and we'll do, uh, we don't have time to do all these, but one more. Um, do you think having a cash rewards credit card that you pay off the statement balance every month is a good thing? Or if, especially if you're using that, um, you're not using that to pay for something that you can't currently afford. Yeah. You're budgeting as if it's a debit yeah. card, but you're getting the points, basically. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, how do you yeah. feel about those yeah. kind of things? So I should clarify, I don't use credit, but I use a credit card. Ah, that's <laughs> sneaky. Ah, okay, this is good. For the same reason, okay. right? Uh, I'm getting extra benefit, yeah. and so, um, yeah, I, I think I've been using a Bank of America credit card for yeah. a long time, and I've never paid an in, uh, yeah. a fee or anything because of that. So, yeah, I think it's wise. Yeah. Uh, do you want to collect hotel points, airline miles, yeah. get money back? You know, mm -hmm. whichever one of those kind of meets your needs. Yeah. What meets my needs is. Um, miles but yeah. really the reason by the way it's another opportunity to give and I can give mm -hmm. my miles away yeah that's good that's good and that's what Blaze and I've talked about this because he's gotten into that you know figuring out how to use credit cards in a responsible way but credit cards this is what we've come to I don't know if you agree with this are kind of like alcohol some people just shouldn't drink because there's a propensity for that to go yeah. poorly some people probably credit cards might tempt them in a way that is oh, going to be unhealthy Right. If if you yeah. if you've maxed out three or four credit cards before, I would not say I need to get another credit card yeah. so I can get miles. You are playing with fire. Yeah. Don't Sobriety do in terms of credit cards might be yes. needed there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's a good. You know, if if you feel like that's something that you can do, just sort of like if you can handle not literally the same thing, but if you can drink and that's okay, and that's not going to be a stumbling block for you. Okay, that's one thing, right? But if you can engage in credit cards and do that without it being a stumbling block financially, then that's a good tool, right? Because you can, yeah, you can. Okay, yeah. It's like a 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That's good. All right. Any other questions in the room before we wrap up? This has been awesome. Thank you. Yeah. This is really helpful. Oh, Scott. Sorry. <laughs> Applause and then Scott. <laughs> oh, gosh. Throw it out. That's a good, yeah. It's That's one of those question. moderation questions, yeah. It is a moderation question. Uh, you know, I don't know if I've got a great answer for you. The, the, the way mm -hmm. I think about it is you've heard the term 1%, right? Are you in the 1%? I think you have to make over $700,000 a year to be in the 1%. But that's, what's that? You stole my punchline. You stole my punchline. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> keep going, keep going. Yeah. So if you, live in, if you live in the United States, you're in the 1% of the world, right? Yeah. And so I think part of, the, part of the problem is at what point do you divest yourself of all of your wealth? Because that's what your, your question is. At what point do you go down to to give away everything? I would say that's a personal, it's a very personal decision, right? You, I think if you... Uh, are free to make that as far as you w want to go. I don't think, by the way, Christ taught that. That said, that is what Christ did. Mm -hmm. That's what Christ did. It says, for he became mm -hmm. poor for our sake. Right? He gave everything away for our sake. He did that. So I think that we're fair. it's fair for us to go to that level if God calls you there. But I don't know that God is commanding everybody to be there. That's the way I would answer that. Yeah. That's the Yeah. 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 There's some discernment there, right? And that's yeah. that is one of those things with sanctification that as we're brought from glory to glory, right? That's part of what that looks like is discerning and fine-tuning how the Lord would have us live. And it's okay if the answer is different for different yeah. people. There's but. a man, by the way, and I'll shut up after this. There's a man, I think he's the guy that invented the technique that extracts the little bit of silver from the back of a Polaroid film. And this is when Polaroid was a big deal. And he became okay. multimillionaire. And for some reason, he just thought, you know what, I've got so much money that he flipped it and said, I'm going to give 90% of the Lord and live on 10. Now, his 10% was probably pretty significant. More than my 100%. But, he, but, he, yeah. but anyway, that's how he did it. I, th I think if, 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 that, if your desire is to give that way, you should follow that. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Okay, last one. And then we've got to go. really a question. Someone has a comment. Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do yeah. if you can't take it with you? <laughs> yeah. What is he going to do with it? 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really that's good. Yeah. 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 Well, that, that's, I, that's why I think yeah. the Bible says it uses the phrase "rich in God," yeah. and I think that's what you're saying. You, you, you should be, and it says to invest in heavenly treasures, right? I, I follow you. I totally believe that. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. okay. Well, this has been that's awesome. Great. Thank you, John. Woo-hoo. We appreciate it.